Welcome to the Truth CSGO podcast, episode 104, all about ESL Challenger Melbourne, featuring an interview with Rugger, the coach of OG. Hey guys, this is Electro. Hey guys, I'm Guardian. This is Daps. This is Nico. This is Nifty. This is Chris J. This is Ferry. Code Zero. Flusher. Oh, this is Kerrigan. Are you listening to the truth? The truth. The truth. The truth. The truth. The truth. The truth. CSGO podcast. The truth. CSGO podcast. The truth. CSGO podcast. Are we rushing in or are we going sneaky beaky like? So I came out of retirement to attend DreamHack Melbourne 2022, which was branded as ESL Challenger Melbourne, a chance for some smaller teams and some regional teams to have a joust at a potential spot in EPL later in the year and revel in the enjoyable grey uh, dredgery um, drizzle that is the Melbourne weather. The arena was a 20-minute walk from my house, so there was really no excuse not to polish off the old microphone. Eh? Interviews were conducted with members of Imperial, Evil Geniuses, PA, Greyhound, Wings Up, and the eventual winners from Brazil, Pain Gaming. These interviews are going to follow over the next week, but for now, let's listen to, I think, probably my personal favorite chat of the whole week. It's a chat with OG coach Rugger. OG had come down under as the highest-seeded team at number eight and were the clear favorites to win with recent pickup Degster. He of Spirit Fame looking like an upgrade from long-serving Orpa Mantu. But these guys were knocked out 2-0 by surprise Chinese performers Wings Up. The day after their defeat, players were pretty unhappy having come all this way with high expectations and were a little leery of some guy in a Truth Podcast t-shirt wanting to chat, probably looking like a... um what do you call it? A conspiracy nut. Uh, but I greased myself up and I slid into Rugger's DMs. Here is the man himself talking first up about the Wings Up game. Five words or less, what happened? Jet lag, being on the road for 30 days and maybe not hitting individual peak, I think was happening. Was there anything you did to try and buffer that? Like we tried to like adjust our rhythms on the planes here, but obviously sitting like 14 hours plus six also from the, the first flight, it's a hard not to to fall asleep every now and then, but we tried our best and also like we're out being active the following day when we arrived, tried to get some fresh air and get everyone going, but yeah, jet lag is real and I don't know, like we tried our best to, to get on top of it, but I don't think we quite managed it fully. Um, well, look, well, let's go back because this is such a rare opportunity for me in Australia to get a chance to talk to someone like you. Uh, like I said in the walk here, I've been a fan of yours since Epi- Epicenter 2016, um, Magist, Frag, Fuck mm-hmm. Out. Um, that was kind of the beginning of your career as a coach around then. And before that, I know you were teaching full time and then you had like a player career somewhat before that what was that career for people who are not as familiar with you uh, i played in the in the sub top in 1.6 and like a lot of years i actually also like refereed the famous wcg where the the crowd spark thing happened where the teams got thrown out of the tournament i was actually a referee back then uh, but after that i played like a top level source like played i think three or four years against the best teams in the world and then when csgo came out uh, we adopted to the beta like very fast and then yeah I think for the the year after the beta came out we me and my team back then uh, a nexus with MSL and Pimp also Nico like this time and KGMB but these these things like over time when there comes a new game like it gets sorted out and it gets filtered some of the best player remains other likes take a break and back then it wasn't like a full-time thing anyway so i kind of said okay yeah i think this is it for me now so i went to focus on my studying and becoming a teacher what were you teaching i was teaching uh, math and english so high school uh we have different terms for it like in denmark but it was in like the age group of like i think it's 13 to 16. 
So you actually worked with a bunch of those players earlier on that you then ended up coaching. Is that what brought you back? Did they just go, dude, get out of the classroom, come into the into the arena? It's actually what happened. Like MSL had tried for a year or so to, to get me back in because I was his in-game leader and captain back then. So he knew what I could bring to a team. Also like the structure and also maybe becoming like the mature figure in the team. Back then that was very needed because everything was similar professional. So no one really cared so much if things went sideways. So it's much easier to be immature and just change teams. So around that time, I also said to him, like, as long as it's not professional, I'm not going to like quit my day job because I had a kid coming and also waiting just around the corner. So, but then he came back again, I think it was a year later and said, okay, we have the package, this is blah, blah, blah. And then I said, okay, let's go. So MSL was kind of the driver, I love that. Yeah. You worked with him and like basically the who's who of Danish Counter-Strike, um, bar some of the Australis guys for maybe four or five years. Um, Optic, North, Dignitas, obviously. How do you see that period now? How do you view that period? Is, is there a takeaway from you know, that, that period that you, you, you've, you've brought with you? Back then, it was more about, at least for me as a, as a coach, it was more about making sure everyone was feeling good and we got all the like small stuff in between the players out of the way because like back then, things were a bit different. The money was obviously there, but it wasn't as the, at the same stages as it is today. So a lot of the, the coaching back then was manhandling and man management. Obviously, I also had a good way of like the way I look at things. I'm very structured and I know the players also like that. So that was the two main things I brought in. And I think it, it carried through for at least some years with being more like a man manager because I have a very good way of like interacting with players, even though that might be 10 years of age difference. I'm very good at understanding where the players' heads are at and try to, to help them find some, some common ground within teams. So, so I've, did, I've, I've been doing that a lot, but I would say like the last two years I've kind of changed into more like very, I would say more like football manager, like having the overall reins, making sure this direction we go, this is what we're doing. Also having the, the actual power behind decisions because that was different back then too. The coaches were sales. <clears throat> was always the last piece of the puzzle. So the players were basically running a lot of things. That's different now, and I think that this is where I'm doing my best work, right now at least, that I get to set the framework and then, yeah, set the course of whatever direction we're going and make sure that if something happens, it's on me, but then at least I also have the power in my, in my hands to make sure that things get the way I want it. Do you think if you had had that power back in some of those North transfer days, you, you know, cores would have stuck together a little longer? Like I remember there was a, a reflections with Valde and Thorin where he was talking about that DreamHack Montreal winning core mm -hmm. should have stayed together a little bit longer. If you'd been in power, would, that, would those sort of things happened? I think so. I think because as I said, like, Back then, it was a lot of emotions and players running the show. So even though they might not be the guys like hitting the button, it was indirectly them a lot of times. Obviously, I had my say so as well, but that was just how it was back then. But I think if it has been different back then, with also like the hierarchy and how power was like structured within the teams, I think maybe the North teams, at least before changing a player, have had like longer times to to run it. And so, how did this come to? How did this uh, power shift happen at OG? Was the management going, we believe in you, or was it you going, I'm not going to do this unless I get this power? I think at the end of maybe uh, mid to end of like 2021, we also knew that we needed to structure it in a way so it wasn't as random as it had been in the CSGO department before. So it was like, it was a long time coming, but the, the actual shift like changed in the beginning of 2022. 
where I got like the full power of the team. Obviously, my boss has the final say, but it's between the two of us that a lot of things happen in the CSGO department. So it was a clear like vision also for me and from the organization that we needed to not be like a players run organization in terms of like what happens on a day to day basis, because we already tried it. I had previous experiences from my other team. So it's hard, it's hard to break up like some of the the normal things that happens in player on team like there are some things where okay who has to final say some of these things that we needed to establish so yeah the clear cut was like a thing in the beginning of this year around the time the original og was formed we also had you know in a similar time frame the colossus uh, at Cloud9, we had the Juggernaut at Complexity. You guys didn't get as much flack as those guys did. Obviously, there was a bit more hype and PR around them. But I feel like you skated through that with that lineup, despite not winning trophies the same as them. Why, why do you think that is? I think it's kind of the curse of like these teams where a lot of like experts, analysts, also organizations look at them and then they say, yeah, they should be winning, they should be doing that. But then they compare the two teams, like they let's say the Complexity and us, and then you'd be like, hmm, maybe we shouldn't expect it so much of them anyway. So I think that's why we went a bit under the radar. And then when we had good periods, it was like, yeah, that was expected of this team. And whenever like it was bad periods, like, yeah, this team should be title contenders and stuff like that. But I think we did actually very good during, like, during what happened with the team and also the player composition. As I said, I come in as the last piece. So obviously that was already like a hard and, <laughs> and tough start for me, not knowing, okay, what is actually happening within the team when I started working there. But yeah, I think we did quite good. Obviously, we also made our like North-esque changes like over the years. But at the end of the day, I think every one of the like changes has had a reasoning behind it. Whereas I think that is what a lot of organizations cannot say when they have been doing it themselves. What's the difference in mentality <clears throat> between the OG now and the OG when it started? I mean, you can see from the outside, there's, there's like, bam, we're going with a whole lot of younger players and experienced IGL. There's a very different composition to how it began with NBK and Alexi B. So what's the difference in, in your guys' mentality? Like, is there a difference in um, philosophy from the top down? I think the roles are more structured. I think back when OG was assembled in the beginning was also a period of time where you tried to get the best players possible and then hope the roles fit. So even though you might be sitting at, like, hiring... Uh, in hiring meetings saying, yeah, I can do that, I can do this, this is all good. But at the end of the day, you are a type of player on the server. And I think there was some mismatch in that regard to get things um, into structure back then and some things had to be changed around. Whereas I feel like now, me and my assistant and also my boss, like we did a good scouting job in terms of like making sure what we needed. And obviously it's never like one-to-one -one as you imagine and anticipated, but at least there's like fewer role clashes this time around. Is that something that's only really evolved in the conversation with coaches and organizations in the last few years? Because I don't remember people talking that much about we're getting this player because he plays A anchor or B site, you know, or he's a aggressive lurker. Is that only a recent thing? Again, I think it changed like maybe during COVID. Like after COVID, I think everyone got a bit more alert on it. I don't think the assemblings of teams since then has been disastrous. Whereas like if you look pre it was like there was a lot of like weird decisions going on and then it kind of like fully dropped the ball like a couple of months later but i think also considering if you look at the teams and players coming up it's a lot of young players obviously experienced players like the superstars that have been here and still winning tournaments they're still like high attract like in attraction but still the others 
you can see that the young players that shoot headshots, if they get a good environment to join, they can actually perform at the very highest level. And that's kind of also been our philosophy here that we would rather try to mold a guy into becoming a superstar than maybe sacrificing a bit in terms of getting experience, but maybe not shooting so hard. Because at one, at one point, like down the road, you have to make a decision about the player anyways. I feel like we can see that with a player like Bimas, who never was given the chance to be the star player, and now he's like two years of mouse sports mm. and he's out. And no one knows what his identity is now. Whereas he might have been a star had he been set up that way. What, what, like, what are you guys seeing as like your meta? Because I was speaking to Fallen yesterday where we were talking about like the SK2017 meta of really slow info gathering mm. and dyads and stuff. That's now shifted into something that FaZe is operating at a high level. But then you also see Cloud9 who are doing that much, much slower kind of paced, you know, methodical stuff. Where do you guys see yourself sitting? I think we try to... Actually funny you say meta because it's one of these things we try to do our very best at understanding, like, we can play whatever style, but if it's completely without the meta, you need to be either like one step ahead and make sure it works against the current meta, or you need to kind of adopt to the meta at one time. But understanding the meta is definitely step one, and then you can kind of define your style. But coming back to your question, I think we're a mix of a lot of things. And the reason why the international teams have a very unique style right now is because you don't want to be too structured as you would normally be in national teams, because then you have a lot of like micromanaging during rounds and the communication like really flows. And you don't want to be like too unstructured either, because that's not like come like the, the recipe for success in the long run. So you want to be something in between where it's easy to play, it's a lot of freedom for the players, they can show their like unique individuality. Because if you have this like young players coming up, putting them into box and telling them to be the, the guy from the other team, it's most likely not going to work because there's a lot of system that works around that as well. So we want to give them the room and the freedom to play their style, but not make it too complicated. So again, coming back to the question, I think it's a mix of like, set strats, playing defaults, and putting pace on the table. From the outside, it would seem that Nexa would be a friendlier IGL for that sort of system than Alexi B was. Is that correct? That is correct. I know you're a big runner. I'm a runner. I don't run as long as you, as far as you. You're crazy. Do you guys, do you get these guys running? Do you get them exercising? Not right now, but it's definitely part of like the idea behind bringing in the new guys, creating the surroundings and, and the framework for them to be a, like a performance athlete but also everything is still new for us because like we had maybe like half a month before the player break, then we played one of the events with stand-ins, then we went on player break, now we went back, bringing Dexter in instead of Mantu. So everything is still fresh, but it's definitely on the to-do list because I think like there is a lot of studies that shows like physical, like how your body is and stuff will definitely help you. Maybe not in like, all aspects of the day, but at least maybe in crunch hours where you need the oxygen to properly flow to the brain and stuff. So it's definitely on the to-do list that that's uh, part of what we're looking at. We've seen you since 2016, you had some successes across the years, but I think, you know, I see that some of the players you worked with then, the MSLs, the Cajun Bs and stuff, they've been relevant. They've always been relevant. You've always been relevant, but we haven't seen you smash those S tier tournaments. Do you think this is the team where you can do it? I believe it is, but obviously like guessing into the future, also knowing that only one team can, can win each tournament. I hope it, it's going to be this team. I have very high expectations from my players. Also seeing that 
they can play against the very best, even without the big like the best of preparations. That's definitely helping me back up the thought that this could be the team. But yeah, like it's a competitive era. Like right now, if you can be a top three team consistently over a year, I'm sure there will be like tournaments and tournament wins that will fall your way. I've always wanted to ask you um, any special memories from DreamHack Montreal. <laughs> DreamHack Montreal, that was a weird one. Like yeah. I think everything from how the final panned out to after parties to all the drama going on with the Brazilians and I think it was FNS, right? That was a weird time and yeah, that, that was weird and it's definitely one of the things that stand out for like from my, my time in, in esports, that's, uh, that's for sure. That's what you're going to say? I think some things is like <laughs> we're going to leave on the inside because otherwise we might start opening some doors that people will be unhappy with. Yeah, fair enough. You don't want to get a beef with O-Planner at this point in the game. Nah, I think uh, they have plenty of beefs with Thorin already. So, <laughs> Thanks, man. It's been a real pleasure. Yeah, I hope you enjoyed my chat with true gentleman Casper Jue, a.k.a. Raga, the coach of OG. Uh, and didn't find my standing too queasy. Didn't mention any, um, what do you call it? Coach bands? Because I'm a nice guy. As I said, there's plenty more interviews coming. Next one's going to be a fairly in-depth chat with John G, I reckon, from Evil Genius's Party Astronauts team. That was a good one. The depths of my ignorance regarding the North American scene uh, kind of plumb the kind of depths that would probably make James Cameron want to launch a submersible into them. So we, uh, me and Jonji, went for a good half an hour yarn, and I reckon you'll enjoy that one. Stay tuned, and until then, enjoy the game.